Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here today. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to fill out the volunteer card, because basically we said fill out this volunteer card, and then we said put it in the offering bag. So uh, you're not going to have time to do that. There's a blue box in the far back. If you're interested in doing that, you can put it there uh, as you leave. Well, I want you to know this morning that you all are my favorite people in the church. You know why? Because you chose to come to church on Labor Day weekend. And you know those people that didn't go to church on Labor Day weekend? You know what we call them? Sinners. They are sinners. And we are praying that they're going to have a horrible afternoon. Uh, Just joking, just joking. Hey, uh, just a personal question to start off with. Uh, Those here at the JAR tend to be pretty bold and transparent. Uh, So here's the question for you this morning. How many of you would say that occasionally, or maybe even quite often, you have financial stress in your life? Just raise your hand. Okay, leave them up, leave them up. I'd like you to look around now. Guess what you notice? That's the norm, okay? You can put your hands down. It's normal. And what do we call those individuals who didn't raise their hand on that one? What do we call them? Liars, that's right. So if you're here for the very first time, um, maybe you'll come back next week. Maybe you won't. I'm not sure. Hey, in our culture uh, in the United States, financial stress, folks, has become completely the norm. You see it almost in every single person you meet. People will say, I'm just making it from paycheck to what? Paycheck to paycheck. And people will say, that's normal. Having monthly payments, normal. Debt, normal. Worry, anxiety, fear about your finances, Normal, 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 normal. It's normal. Having tension in your relationships, especially if you're married, when it comes to your finances, it is normal. And one last one. People have little to no financial margin in their world, and we call it now normal. And this is what I want to say this morning. Normal ain't working. Normal, for those of you who are grammatically correct, is not working. Now, last week we started this new series on margin, talking about margin in our life. And having margin allows us to have a deeper connection with God. And we gave a definition of margin that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And here it is. And this is your first fill-in, or you can do it on our JAR app on your phone. But this is it. Margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. The difference between what you have and what you need. So financially, we could say this, that if you make $2,000 a month and you have $1,500 in bills, at the end of the month, you have how much money left? $500. Look at that. You are so smart this morning. $500. You have $500 worth of margin. Now, let's say that you make $2,000 a month and you spend $2,000 a month. 
How much margin do you have? Zero. Zero. You know some of you eat our donut holes, and there's a zero in that. You can't afford the donut hole because you're just right there. Now, some of you are here today, and you're going, dude, I can top both of those. I earn 2000 but I spend 2500 What's that make me? Well, we'll talk about that later. Um, margin, folks, is the difference between what you have and what you need. So what does financial margin look like in our everyday life? Here's what it looks like. It's having money left at the end of the month. Some of you have a glazed look right now, like, what is he talking about? No, no. It's having money left at the end of the month. And it's possible, folks. It really is. It's possible, and it's a a good thing. Financial margin is having enough money that when a friend, family member, someone's hurting, they're going through something, you can help out. It's having money available to Take care of things when they're broke so that you don't get stressed out. It could be that you could just go off and enjoy something that you want to do on your own. It could be being able to purchase time margin. In other words, when the sink isn't working right and you have to spend your whole afternoon trying to figure that out, if you have financial margin, you could have time margin to have someone else fix that for you. Folks, margin is the ability to financially just be at rest. That you can be at peace. That you can go to bed at night. You're not anxious about what you owe. Again, let me just say this. That financial margin is something that most people do not have. But I believe that that's what God wants you to have. It's a blessing, he says, if you have financial margin. Well, we're going to look at a passage this morning in Proverbs. Proverbs is our wisdom book of the Bible. It's about right in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament, the first half. And this is what it says in Proverbs 21.20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. In other words, there is more than enough. But a foolish person devours all that they have. In the house of the wise, there is margin. In the house of the wise, there is more than enough. In the house of the wise, you have all that you need. And we could say that a foolish person then is one who devours it all, or at the end of the month, doesn't have anything left over. Now what's interesting to me in this passage, if you look at it closely, it says, in the house of the wealthy are the stores of choice food, right? What's it say? Wise. It doesn't say in the house of the wealthy. It doesn't say in the house of the two-income family, two-income family, there is margin. It doesn't say in the house of the person who makes six figures that it is wise. But the Bible says in the house of the wise, there's more than enough in that house. You see, folks, there is a wise way to manage the money that God entrusts with you. And there is a foolish way to handle the money that God entrusts to you. So let me give you an example. 
When my wife Jennifer and I uh, moved here in 1998, we didn't know anyone except her grandma and her aunt and cousins. And you can't hang out with grandma and the aunts and cousins all the time. So we had to meet some friends. And a couple of friends were people who she worked with. She, was a, uh, she is a doctor, but she had started her residency. And then in the midst of that, uh, we met some of her friends. And there were two couples that we developed friendships with. The first couple, both of them were residents as well. They didn't make as much as a doctor, but they worked a lot. Uh, Jennifer, in her first year, she worked 94 hours a week. That's what her average was. And we figured out she made $4.86. It's great to be a doctor. You know, just, just great. And it was tough. And uh, this one couple, they were both doctors, and they had this young child, but they were working those kind of hours. But together, they made over six figures, and the first thing they did, once they knew they were going to start making money, is they went out to Yorktown, and they bought a brand new build built exactly the way that they wanted. We pulled up to their house, and they had fresh sod all on the ground. It was manicured beautifully. There was landscape that had been taking place everywhere. When you walked up to the front door and you walked inside the house, there were these high ceilings and high-end flooring. When you would walk into the kitchen, there was, you know, stainless steel appliances, and they all matched. My wife right now is like, ours don't match. I'm like, get over it, you know? Like, our cleaning function on our oven has not worked in four years. And sometimes when she bakes stuff, it smells like the whole house is going on but this is what I think. They want me to spend a money for a new one like that just for the cleaning function? Let it stay dirty. You know, it's no big deal. So this same couple, uh, they had a son. And when you walked into his room, he had so many toys. He had every single new toy that you could imagine. There was a big screen TV when you walked in and there was no tube in the back of it. It was like, this is 98, folks. All of you have these flat screens. Back in 98, there were these tubes that were on the back of the TV. The garage was brand new. And in that garage were two brand new vehicles. When you looked at them, you would say, these people are wealthy. But I got to know them pretty well over the next few years. And what you saw in the appearance on the outside, you learned very quickly it was just the show. Smoke and mirrors. Because they had no financial margin. They were fighting about money all the time. There was infidelity on both sides of their relationship. And they kept, though, working more, doing uh, moonlighting, trying to make more money to keep up with the lifestyle. And it looked good from the outside, folks. It looked really good. They just weren't happy. Now, we built an, another relationship with this other couple who he was a doctor, again, working those hours, not making quite as much as a physician that wasn't in residency. But their lifestyle was totally different. 
He worked, but his wife stayed at home with their daughter, our son. And then within the three years, they had a daughter, and so they had two small children that she was taking care of. Now, they bought a very old house, a house in which if you looked across the way to the neighbor's house, you could see what they were eating. That's how close the houses were. The yard was out of control. You know why I know the yard was out of control? Because I mowed it several times. I thought to myself, this doctor can't even mow his own yard, and I'm out there doing it for him. They always used the door that went to the garage because the front door kind of stuck, and you never would have realized they even had a front door to their house. And when you walked in the house, there were not high ceilings or nice high-end flooring. There was just carpet that had stains on it and linoleum. And if you reached high enough, you could touch the ceiling, actually. They didn't have a big screen TV. They had a big tube in the back of their TV. And there was this gigantic tube that you would watch. The kitchen was very, very small. There were not granite, uh, you know, uh, cabinets or uh, granite uh, counters. And the cabinets were not real nice. But it was functional. And when you looked at their garage, they barely could get one car in. But they had two cars. It's just both cars had over 100,000 miles on each one of them. And their son's room had toys, but they weren't brand new toys. They were used toys that someone had given to them. But this was the weird thing. Whenever I would walk into that house, I just felt at home. In fact, I remember saying several times I'd go, man, I just love your house. They're like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, I think it's great. Because there was something very odd that was going on. I didn't even know this, but I could just feel that these people had financial margin. I could see it. I knew that each month they had money left over, even though they made half as much as that other couple. The family chose a simpler lifestyle. I knew that each time that I sat on their sofa, even though it was kind of dirty and a little bit stained, it was paid for. And every time we watched that television with that big tube on the back, I knew it was paid for. And every time she would cook in the kitchen, even though it didn't have the nicest granite countertops, I knew that their countertops were paid for. And there was this peace that just flowed in their home. But nothing in the house that you would ever walk in would you say, wow, they're rich. They're rich. But I'll tell you what I understood is that I began to realize they were some of the richest people I've ever known in my life. And there are people today who Jennifer and I still look to, not only on how we handle our money and our finances, but how we lead our family as well. Proverbs 20 says this, In the house of the, what is it? What's the word? The wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a what? Foolish person devours all They have. And so here's our big idea for this morning. Creating financial margin really is the wisest way to live. Creating financial margin is the wisest way 
to live. Folks, if we know that, if we know having financial margin is the wisest way to live, then why aren't more of us living that way? I mean, why is it that we trade margin and flexibility and security and peace and things like that so that we can get more material stuff? Why is it? Well, our culture has convinced us of this lie, a culture that's lying to us over and over again. And the lie is this, that there is a definition of happiness that the culture has, and this is it. This is your next fill-in. Culture's definition of happiness is more than I currently have. Whatever you have, folks, is not enough. And so the culture says, you've got to have more than what you currently have to be happy. This is what the world tells us. Whatever you have right now, folks, it's not enough. You don't have enough. You need what? More. You need more. If you have something else, then you'll be happy. If you had just a little bit more, you would be tons more happy. Our culture tells us, you deserve it. If you can't afford it, just take payments. Get it now. It will make you happy. You've got to have it now. You are not happy because you are not getting what you want now. And I have 20-somethings that will come up to me many different times, and they're like, man, I want to live exactly the way my parents are living. Now. Like, dude, it took them 30 years to get... No, 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 no. I want it now. Because they think they deserve it. You see, folks, this is the thing with stuff. We just think if we get more stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff, we get all this stuff. We get the stuff, man. I got stuff. I'm going to be so happy. And if I don't have stuff, then I'm so sad. But I need stuff. You see, folks, it's not an income problem for most of us. Most of us will say, well, if I only had more money. But it's not an income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. As your income goes up, this is what people typically do. They don't say, oh, I'll stay at the same standard of living. I better climb the ladder and get right as close as I can to the line. Because it's a lifestyle problem. But obviously... If it was a lifestyle problem, we could fix it, and we would have already done that. But it's not a lifestyle problem, really, at the end of the day. You know what it is? It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Matthew 6, 19, 21, Jesus said this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy The goal for so many people is to just get more and more and more and more and more. Why do you think we have storage businesses? Do you know why? Because I don't have enough stuff in my place, so I have to go get a big storage unit to put stuff in there that I never look at. That's what we want, just more and more and more and more stuff. But Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus is like, that is playing the fool. He says, store up 
yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. In other words, your money always follows your heart. Wherever your money's at, that's exactly where your heart is going. I mean, let's be blunt about it. The statistics have not changed much in the last 20 years. The average church-going, Christ-follower, person who calls themselves a Christian, they give a little bit more than 2%. So this is basically it. I'll give 2% to God, and I want 98% for the world. That means 98% of what we have, it goes to the world. And then we wonder, why is it that we keep wanting more and more of the world, and we want less and less of God? Because it's a spiritual problem. So what do we do? What do we do about this? How do we create margin? Now, this, this next thing, it's not in your outline, but this is just common sense. You guys are smart people. You're here on Labor Day weekend, so you've got to be smart, right? And this is it. You know this already. If you want more financial margin, what do you have to do? You either earn more or you spend what? You spend less. Earn more or spend less. It's an obvious answer. But it's so obvious, why aren't more people trying to do that? Because I think there is a much deeper rooted issue, a much deeper problem. It's something that isn't about either earning more or spending less. It has a spiritual issue, and it's this. And the answer really for creating more margin is this right here. It's very simple. You must put God first in your finances. You've got to put God first in your finances. Because this is what the world says. No, 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 don't do that. Put yourself first. That's my biggest struggle. I told you last week, one of the struggles I have is that when it comes to the throne of my life, many times I think I should sit on it. Because it's my life. And so I have to really focus hard at kicking myself off the throne so I put the one who's smarter than me on the throne, God himself. You must put God first. But this is what happens. We get, we get there we're like, oh, look at that little thing on the shelf. I want it! And if you want it, most of the time, what do you do? You get it. If you have anything left over, then you're like, okay, God, here, you can take the leftover. But in reality... God says, no, 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 seek me first. In fact, Jesus said these words. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. Now, at the very beginning of the year, I hope you're you're better than the first celebration people, okay? But in the very beginning of the year, I gave a message. And in that message, remember, I challenged everyone to have one what? One word, one person said it. That is so encouraging right now. I'm just, just filled today with that you guys are really getting. Well, anyways, if you weren't here, you're off the hook. But if you were here, I challenge you to pick one word that would kind of guide your life for the rest of the year. I ask you to pray about it, think of a scripture about it. And my word was this word, seek. And, it, and the scripture came from this passage. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything, and 
will be added unto you. And so uh, this has been such a hard year. I have it right by my bedside. It says seek, and it has a scripture verse. And, man, putting him first has been so hard. Um, There have been times in which I've had some victory for a day or two or so. But to do a whole week and, and making him first in every decision I make, it has really been hard. When we seek him first, though, what happens is, He'll give us his will and his direction in all things, including our money. Now, I'm going to give you kind of three benefits of placing God first with your finances today. Now, I could give you many more, but it's Labor Day weekend and you have plans, right? So I'm going to let you out early today, okay? So we'll see how we go. And I'll tell you what, those people that come back next week, I am going to talk so long that no, I'm just Okay, so here's the benefits of uh, what happens when you put God first. First of all, you'll experience God's blessing. You'll experience God's blessings. Uh, not going to spend a lot of time here because we've talked about this uh, many, many times here at the jar, but I've got to give uh, some justice to it. And so I want us to look at a passage in Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And just before Jesus comes on the scene, Malachi gives uh, these words from God. It says this in 3.10. Bring the whole tithe, and that word tithe just means tenth or ten percent, into the storehouse, that is the church. Bring ten percent of what God entrusts us with into the house of God that there may be food in my house. And you can almost hear God as he tells the people this. You can almost hear God thinking to himself. You know, when I tell them this, you know what they're going to say? No! No! That is stupid. That is crazy talk. What have you been smoking? Like, this is not true. And God says this. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He says, test me in this. Don't let me believe. Don't just believe, but test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture, think about this, all of these passages of Scripture, everywhere in the Bible, there is only one place where it ever says, test me. And it's right here. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that you will not have room enough for it. And so what does tithing do? It gets you off the throne and it puts God there. When you bring your first and your best, God will take care of the rest. When you bring your first and your best, God says, hey, I'll take care of whatever's left. Tithing teaches us this, that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100. He says, I can do more with 90 than what you can do with 100. In fact, it's one of the most tangible and practical ways that we can actually put God first. Now, I've used this illustration before. But if you take 10 $1 bills, just imagine 10 $1 bills in my hand, and you say you got to take one of those away, and you give that to God. Everybody here would be like, it's only a buck. Who cares? $1, no big deal. The problem is when those $1 bills become $10 bills, or they become 20s, or 100s, or 1000s, now all of a sudden we're like, 
keep that one right here. You want it? I give that one, but. And that's the problem with tithing is that even though it's very, very practical and it can help take power away from being materialistic or being consumed by it, we, we struggle with it. That's why when people come up to me and they're like, hey, Chris, I, I, I want to give, but I don't have any financial margin in my life right now. So what do you think? Wait until I get to the point where I have financial margin and then wait until I get to the point where I can give 10% and then I should give? You know what my response always is? No! Because if you wait until that point, you know what they'll be doing at your funeral? Where did it all go? So I always tell people, no, 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 start right now, wherever you're at. Start with 4%, 5%, 6%, whatever. Increase it by a percent and see what God does. And many people in the jar have chosen to do this. And in doing so, they've seen their faith built in amazing ways. And you begin to see God's hand at work. And you begin to see his provision And you begin to see his blessings. I was talking to a woman this week. And she was really excited because she said, Hey, uh, our family for the first time is going on vacation for fall break. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Now, some people go on vacation for fall break. And what they do is they just get in more debt. But I know this woman and her husband, and I know what they've done. And for years, what they've done is they've gotten rid of their debt, and they've increased their giving to God. And I know they're at a tithe and above that, and they give financially really well. And God has blessed them now with this time to get away with a vacation. I'm like, that is awesome. How many times have you gone on a vacation where you know you didn't have a pot to, well, you know, you didn't have a pot. Let's let's put that And you couldn't do even that. And yet, you went out and you put all this money on your credit cards or you did whatever. And everyone's like, dude, this is awesome, man. We're down here in Florida and everything. And the whole time, your stomach is just like, oh, my goodness. What are we doing? What are we doing? Hey, dude, can we get one of those boogie boards? Yes, go ahead, whatever. But this woman, when she came, I could just see it. She's like, man, this is awesome. I was like, man, they did it the right way. That's what God's blessing them now with this. Second thing, when you put him first in your finances, you will become supernaturally content. When you seek him, when you pray to him, when you ask for his divine direction and wisdom, for the resources that he wants you to take care of, he says, I will make you content. Proverbs 15, 16 says this. And uh, I want to ask you, what's the very first word of this verse? What's the word? What is it? Uh, One more time. Is it worse? No. It's what? It's better. It's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. There are very few people in our country today who believe this, especially our government. Have you ever seen the debt ticker before? $19 trillion. Let it go a little bit more. 19, 20, 21, 22. Let my kids have nothing to do in a few years. We just keep on seeing that thing tick and tick and tick and tick and tick. It's not good. It's horrible. 
Better a little with God, better a little with margin, better a little with peace than houses, nice cars, whatever. Better something paid for than something that you owe. Folks, the world says more will make you happy. If you just have more, you'll be so much more happier. And God is clear. Happiness comes with contentment with what you already have. Because it's better. It's better. It's, what is it? It's better. Now, you're, if you start doing this, if you start living this lifestyle, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and your family members are going to walk up to you and go, dude, you are weird. You are strange. What do you mean? You're giving 10% to something that you can't even see? Oh, my word, you're a nut. Have they changed you or something at the jar? Things just seem not quite the same way anymore. And then when you say, and I know you could drive a better car than that 14-year-old car that you have. Why are you doing that? This is why you can tell them. Because it's better. It's better. Why are you cutting up your credit cards and paying cash? Because it's better. Why are you selling your big house and downsizing? Because it's better. Why have you put a tattoo of Dave Ramsey on your arm? Because it's better. I won't show you where mine's at, but... uh. And every once in a while, then, you become like this cheerleader. I've got margin. Yes, I do. I've got margin. How about you? No, no, no. But people don't say you. You know what they say? They're like, I don't got any. <laughs> Folks, it's better to have money and to be able to give it, to, uh, give it away to the things of God. It's better that when something breaks down, you don't break down. You ever have that experience before? Something breaks down. You know you can't afford it. You're just like, I'll just let it go. My wife tried to use that on me with the, the oven, the cleaning oven. She's like, we've got financial margin. I'm like, I want more. <laughs> it's better. It's better to have a reasonable mortgage than being stressed out all the time. It's better, it's better, it's better. Folks, when you put God first in your finances, guess what happens? You don't need the extra things. Because God is enough. We've got some friends. They got a boat. They got a cottage up north. And I'll tell you what. They have all the physical stuff. But the stress that's in their house and how overwhelmed they are. They just don't have the peace that surpasses understanding. When you seek him first, when you tithe, when you give him first, his presence, his provision, and his spiritual contentment come to you. Last thing. The benefit is when you put God first with your finances, you end up with more of what matters. You actually end up with more of what really matters. Now, again, you may not have physically what other people have, 
But you have something that they don't have, and that's a spiritual connection. Proverbs 18, 19, God speaks to wisdom. Wisdom here is really himself, and he says this. With me are riches and honor. With me are lasting wealth and success. My fruit is, what's the word? Better than fine gold. My gifts are what? Better than finest silver. God says, the things that I can give you are better than what the world can give you. When you put him first, when you place him at the center, things do change. And what happens is you begin to enjoy the things that matter the most. You have financial margin to spend more time with the people that you love. You're able to invest in things that are most important. You are relationally rich. You are spiritually rich. And you're rich in the things that matter the most. When you put God first. Now the world says this. Consume. 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 Let's all consume. And the better message though is contribute. What do you contribute? What are you contributing that goes beyond your life? Because it is better to give than to receive. You know I was thinking about it this week. That I do not have a single emotional consuming story. I don't have a single emotional consuming story in my life. I have no story of walking into a store where I'm going to buy running shoes. And I know I'm going to have to pay full price. And I get up to the counter and they're like, it's 30% off. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 30% off. I cannot believe this. God has done this. Oh, great. Look at this. I'm consuming all this stuff. And now it's 30% less. I don't have a single story in my life like that. But you know what I have? Tons of giving stories. Giving stories of the fact that when we first started the jar. And there were five people that met in our living room. And those five people said, we will give 15% of our income so that we can have a good start as we start this church. It connects with me every single time. When I think about the fact that for the first five years, I didn't take a salary. And our children's minister didn't take a salary. And we just did it freely because I knew that if we gave at the front side that God would bless people's lives just like he did a couple of weeks ago when 20 people were baptized. And each time that I would see a picture of someone, I was like, oh man, that was so much better to give it away. So much, so much better. When I think about the first car we gave to a single mom, and I could see the the joy in her life, it was so much better. And when I think about the four kids that we sponsor, two in Mexico, one in Rwanda, and one in Haiti, and I see their lives changing, I'm, I'm moved by that. I can tell you that Jen and I have not always worn new clothes. 
we've not always been able to go to any restaurant we wanted to go to. We've not always lived in a nice home. But I can tell you that since we started the jar, we've always put God first. And we gave freely because we knew it was better. So much better. Folks, some of you have bought into the myth of more hook, line, and sinker. That if I just had more, and if I just had more, and if I just had more, and my heart aches for you folks because the more will never be enough. And you've given up on the idea of financial margin for the things of this world that will not last. But this is the thing. You can change. You can make a change right now. And when you put Him first and you do that, you begin to start experiencing His blessings. And you experience a spiritual contentment. And you experience a life that is doing the things that are most important. But the choice is up to you. There's a wise way and there's a foolish way and you get to choose. And folks, remember, this is not about an income issue. This is a lifestyle, spiritual issue. And the choice really, honestly, is easy. But it's very, very hard. You first or God first? And putting God first is better. Better. I'm going to invite our uh, prayer team to come up, and they'd love to pray with you if you'd like prayer for anything. And I'd like you to stand right now as we close in prayer. And you're getting out eight minutes earlier. That's like better, right? Some of you are like, yeah, if you don't pray too long, man, you know. <laughs> hey, last thing. That volunteer now card, if you're not serving in some place, I just encourage you, think of one thing to serve. Uh, check it, and when you leave, just put it in the blue box. We're really expecting God to do some amazing things this fall. And we're going to need all hands on deck to be able to do that. So if you could, that'd be great. Hey, let's pray. God, I pray we would experience the better life. And please forgive us for all the ways we sell out for the things that really do not last or matter. God, thank you for all the many blessings that you give to us and help us not to simply be consumers, but help us to be contributors to you and your church. God, I pray for those who have decided today, you know what, the chaos ends. I'm tired of being in debt. I'm tired of being stressed out all the time. I'm going to change. Today's the day. God, I pray that you'd give them the courage to make those decisions and that you would bless them, God, and encourage them, letting them know that they really are choosing the better way. 
God, I pray that you'd give each person here the courage to say no to what the world wants and they would say yes to the things that are better. And that as they do, God, they'll receive your blessing, your contentment, your peace. Teach us to put you first. And I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in people's lives who make that better choice today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.